Thank you, Tim, for that prayer of supplication. And I'll ask if you will, please, to turn in the back of your Bible to 2 John. Not often will I stand up in the pulpit and announce that I'm going to preach through half of a book of, a Bible, of the Bible. And maybe some of you wouldn't faint or think of an excuse to go to the restroom and then never come back. But uh, by God's grace, we'll get through half of 2 John. 2nd and 3rd John are the shortest uh, epistles in the, in the Bible. I think in each one of them, there are less than 300 Greek words. Uh, if we were receiving the originals uh, written by the Apostle John, they would all be contained, uh, or they would each be contained on one page of papyrus uh, in a scroll. And so it would be a very tiny um, uh, book. And one scholar uh, talking about 2nd and 3rd John said that they, they're not really letters, they're postcards. Kind of like my sermon notes. <laughs> but uh, anyway, as small as they are, don't overestimate or don't underestimate the significance of these two letters from the Apostle John to the early church. Just like in my medicine tray that tells me, you know, that I sort out all the different medicines that I take for all the different things that I need medicine for. Some of the smallest pills in that little box are the most powerful ones. And believe you me, I know. I've, I've experienced uh, overdosing. So, um, not intentionally. But um, it's not the biggest pills that, that have the powerful punch. And, and so these little letters have a, a powerful punch from the Apostle John. Not only to those early churches, but churches from that time on all the way down to the 21st century now. First of all, just a little background on, on 2 John. 2 and 3 John are, are, are both authored by the Apostle John. Uh, 2 John is written about the same time. Scholars, commentators say usually about 90 to 95 AD. Uh, they all agree that John probably wrote these epistles, including 2 John, from the city of Ephesus. He was, that was his home base, if you will, from which John ministered not only to the church at Ephesus, but the churches in the region of, of Asia Minor. And there were several churches there. Similar to, to 1 John, 2 John deals with the similar issues and problems, like the presence of false teachers that was hounding the, the fellowship of those early churches and seeking to infiltrate and, and to deceive God's people. Not only that, but also having to deal with those who were uh, false believers within the church that uh, were, were creating trouble and, and, and problems for the church. And so, you know, as we look at First John, uh, Second John, and as we begin to to read what John has here, I think it's important to see that he comes right out of the gate addressing uh, truth and love. And as I think about our our lives, we we all we depend upon having balance in our lives, uh, in our diets. We try to we try to balance our diets with you know things like um, carbs and proteins, and you know not too many sweets and not too many too much of the healthy stuff either. But uh, in, our, in our daily life, we try to balance it with, uh, you know, the right amount of rest, the right amount of activity, or right amount of work, the right amount of play. So, you know, life brings with it balance. In this second epistle, you'll find that John is addressing two subjects that are both independently extremely important to the believer, but he's balancing it as he talks about this concept of truth and love in the life of the believer. So the aging apostle, and John, you know, refers to himself as the elder or the elderly. He is the older 
uh, in fact, at this point, he's the only surviving apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. John's probably in his 90s at this point. And so he refers to himself as elder. You could say he does that chronologically with his age, but also as an elder in the church and in terms of his ecclesiastical function to the church. And so read with me there in your Bible as I read from uh, my copy. And, uh, and let's look at verse 1. Uh, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but all, also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us, and we will be with, uh, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. We'll pause right there for a second because John is wanting to stress something to those early Christians and he's wanting us today to understand the significance of truth. You'll notice in those four verses John uses the term truth five times. So obviously John's trying to get a message across about the importance of truth. He's not talking about truth in general, but he's talking about the truth of the Word of God. The truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so followers of Christ strive to walk in God's truth. You know that expression, to walk in, is, is a common term in the, in the New Testament. At different times you'll find it referring to as Christians are encouraged and admonished to walk in the Spirit. Or, or oftentimes you'll hear references to walking in love. Christians are to walk in love or walk by faith. And, and Paul in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walking in Christ. So walking in faith, love, uh, Christ is, is actually living in and, and manifesting these qualities, if you will. And so John is, is, is encouraging this, this elect lady. And I need to say something about that because some commentators have said that, well, that's, that's a reference to the church. And, and it's a reference to the, the members of the church. The lady is the church and the, the, the children are members of the church. But more reliable commentators, the ones that I trust, seem to lean towards the elect lady. It's just that. She is a, a prominent uh, woman. That word elect could be chosen. She's highly respected in the body of those particular believers in whichever church John is referring to there. It, it's, it's a woman that, that obviously has children. There's no reference to her husband. It could be because she's a widow. We don't know. But the fact that John singles her out and, and every time these epistles are circulated, what he says to a person can be applied to others. So it's not like this is a private letter to a, a, a prominent female member of a particular church, though it is addressed to her. What he's saying to her could apply to all followers of Jesus Christ. And so one of the first things that he's saying to her is, is related to walking in God's truth, the importance of living, not just, just knowing God's truth, but living in the truth of God. It's reminiscent of what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.13 when he says, he's writing to the 
to, to the, uh, his protege Timothy, and he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He said, Timothy, the, the, the scriptures that I have given you, the, the, the inspired word of God that I have imparted to you, he says, hold fast to it. Treasure the truth, son. Keep it close to your heart. James saw the prominence of the word of God. As that apostle wrote there in chapter 1, he says, be doers of the word and not just hearers, and thus deceive yourself. He says, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, you deceive yourself. Like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror, turns and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. James is saying, listen, do the word of God. Take to heart the word of God. Live the word of God. Let it become a part of you. And so John is writing to this, this, this lady and to her family, but Subsequently, to all the members of the church and every church that will receive this letter, he's basically saying to them, as followers of Jesus Christ, every day we must strive to walk in the truth of God's Word. They should carefully guard the biblical truths of the gospel. Why? Because they were heretics, false teachers, false prophets that were coming around as a circuit and teaching things that were not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and John is warning them of that. And so it's important as we walk in the, the truth of, of God's word that we walk in the light of our faith of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I would ask you, how important is this to you? Is it just an old relic that sits on a shelf until it's time to go to church? You hardly ever refer to it? How much of the Bible do you truly know? How much time do you spend digesting and understanding and applying the Word of God? So it's important to know the Word of God, to apply the Word of God, to walk in the Word of God. But not only that, it helps us in rejecting all false teachings about Jesus Christ. There were those that were coming to the early church, and John knew this, the false teachers and prophets that were saying, well, Jesus was, yeah, he, he was a man, but he really wasn't God. Oh, yes, he was divine, but he really never took on human flesh. That's impossible. And, and so John is discounting all of that. He's encouraging this dear lady and her family and all the members to know the Word of God, to live the Word of God, and to love the truth of God's Word. You know, that's why we as leaders of this church, we make it a point to, to, to assure that all the members of Cornerstone are given what we consider to be a good diet of the Word of God. In other words, when you come to Christian Growth Group, and I hope that you are involved in our, our morning Bible studies on Sunday morning, we make sure that you are being taught the Word of God. Not the fluff and the stuff of contemporary society and, and filtered down superficial Christianity. No, we're not here to entertain you in your Christian Growth Group. We want to give you the meat of God's Word and challenge you to go deep in it. And over and over, we're walking through the whole Bible so that you can see the connection of the Gospel all the way through the, the Bible. So John is challenging them to carefully guard the biblical truths of the Gospel when he says to, to this elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us 
and will be with us forever. The truth was absolutely important to John. And they recognized wisely the benefits of abiding in the truth. Christians are sanctified by the truth of God's word. When we live in the word of God, listen to what the apostle Paul says in Colossians in chapter 3. He's talking about the importance of abiding in God's word. He says in chapter 3, Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I think it's important that Paul says it's important that we teach each other not only from just the text of the scripture, but did you notice he talked about the songs that we sing. And that's another thing that as leaders of this church, we, we, we we're all for music. We, we love uh, our church family engaged in singing praises to the Lord. But we try to be very careful in the types of songs that we sing. We're not interested in trying to keep up with the contemporary culture out there and some of the hip-hop kind of Christian versions of, of music that have very little meaning and, and a bunch of repetition. We, we want you to be singing words that reflect the teachings of the truth of the Word of God. And so the, the Word has sanctifying power. It, it, the Word of God abides in us. And that's what he's saying there in, in verse 2. He says, because of the truth which abides in us. Does the word of God live in you? Let me tell you something, friend. If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then it does. By virtue of the fact that Jesus Christ tells us there in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he that abides in me and I in him will bring forth much fruit. If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ and committed to live your life after the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Word abides in you because Jesus lives in you and in me. Because the Bible says, John in his prologue, as he introduces his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, Logos, Jesus. And it's important that the Word abide in us. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He said of himself in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we have Jesus, we have the Word of God living in us. So not only is John coming out in this epistle right away, pointing out the importance of abiding in the truth of God's Word but he's making the connection with love as we move further. Look with me in verse 5. John says, And now I plead with you, lady. You'll notice the change of the tone. He's given a salutation in verses 1 through 4. He's greeted her. He's made a, a, a point of, of saying that he treasures his love relationship with her that is based on the truth of the Word of God. That's very much like you and I saying to one another, I love you in Christ. You know, it's okay for Christians to tell one another that we love one another. I like to hear that because we are family. We are the family of God. And, and, and as long as you qualify that, I love you in Christ. I love you with all that the truth of the Word of God allows me to love you as a follower, a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. And so this is what he's saying here. Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, 
but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from, it, uh, from the beginning, you should walk in it. John moves on now to, to bring this, this challenge to this woman that he respects, that he loves in Christ, and not only to her, but to her children. He's bringing this challenge to her that followers of Christ not only strive to walk in the truth of God's Word, but true followers of Christ seek to walk in the love of God, in God's love. And, you know, as Christians, we should love freely. We should be known as a loving people. As a church, we should, be, we should have a reputation of, of being a loving congregation. It should be common knowledge in the local community that Cornerstone loves its neighbors. But having said that, brothers and sisters, let me say it again. As Christians, we should love freely, but not indiscriminately. Because biblical truth must always be the basis of our deepest love. Let me say that again so you understand. Biblical truth must always be the basis of our deepest love. Jesus modeled this love for us. He taught us about this, this wonderful love. The deepest love. The purest love. The love of God. And I'll make some distinctions as I go further. But in John chapter 14 verse 21. Jesus says. He who has my commandments. And keeps them. He's the one who loves me. He goes on in verse 23 of that same chapter. And says. He who has my commandments and keeps them. He's the one who loves me. And he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. And my Father will love him. And I will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. You see the connection? Jesus was making the connection between true agape God love and obedience to the truth of God's word. Let me simplify it. You say you love the Lord. You say you have a deep love and abiding love for the God. You say that you love the Lord. And by the way... If you don't love God, you're not a follower of Christ. You're not a Christian. So you say you love God. Do you obey His Word? Do you live according to the teachings of the Holy Word of God? It's as simple as that. The things that He tells us that apply to us as a church, as New Testament believers, are you practicing those in your life? And so you see the connection. There is, there is love that is a general love, but also there's a deeper love that is to apply to the fellowship of believers. And John models that love. Go back to verse 1. Look at his greeting to this, this woman, the elect lady, the chosen lady, and to her family. He says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love. How? In the truth. He's basically saying, this is what we have in common. We both believe the truth of the Word of God. You and your children believe that? And John says, I believe that. And because of that, John says, I love you with a love that is deeper than the world understands. I love you with a quality of love that is similar to the love that God has for us. Isn't that what Jesus said in the New Commandment? As to how we should love one another in John 13, 
34 and 35, when he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another, and by this all men will know that you are my disciples. John's not saying that to the general public. In John 13, this is the time when he's in the upper room, as, as we were remembering in our Lord's Supper, and he's gathered with his disciples, and he's teaching the disciples some very prominent, deep principles applied only to those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. He's saying, fellas, this is how you love one another. And they couldn't fully comprehend that because he hadn't went to the cross yet. But the next day he would. And they would see exactly what he was talking about. And Jesus was saying, this is the love. True Christian love rises above the sloppy sentimentality of the world. True Christianity rises above the sloppy sentimentality that is practiced out there in so many liberal churches. Oh, we love everybody. Oh, you just come and, and we love you. You're part of the fellowship. Oh, we don't have membership anymore. We don't believe in pigeonholing people and having expectations and requirements. Oh, you just come and we'll hug on you and we'll love on you. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. It doesn't matter if you're living in sin or unrepentant sin or not. Oh, we just want you to be loved. Folks, that's not godly love. That's not Christian love. That's not the love of the church. John's making the distinction there. Be careful who you extend love to. Back in chapter 1, in verse 5, verse 3. John says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Who are the ones that we should make the objects of our love? Our deepest love. The love of God in us. Who should be the object of that love? It's people who, like you, respect the Word of God, who obey the Word of God and live by the Word of God. In other words, Christians have a responsibility to love one another according to the parameters of the Christian faith. And that's reflected even in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If I go back there in chapter 6, this is a familiar passage. But, it, but listen to what Paul says there in chapter 6 of Galatians. Listen to what Paul says. Let me find my place here. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Oh yes, we should love our neighbors. We should love those out there in the community around us. But ladies and gentlemen, the love, that deep Christian love that Jesus taught us when He says, by this they will know you are my disciples if you love as I have loved you. And so when Jesus says true love is a friend who will lay down his life a man or a woman who lays down their life for their friends. True Christian love is sacrificial love. It's, it's, it's love that lasts no matter what the circumstances are. Christian love is reflected by Christ in John chapter 10 in verse 15 when he says, I am the true shepherd, the good shepherd. 
And I lay down my life for my followers, for my people. That's what that true life is. A true love is. And over in 1 John, if I take you back there real quick in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. True Christian love is that deep love that reflects the agape love of God that compelled the, the Creator of the universe to send His only begotten Son into this sinful world, this wicked world, to die on a cross, not for His sins, but for yours and for mine. And it's that kind of love that Christians reserve for fellow Christians, for one another. I, I want to make sure that I'm clear I'm not saying that we shouldn't love non-Christians. That's, that's contradictory to the teachings of, 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 of Christ even. when In Matthew chapter 5, if you recall, in verse 44, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Jesus said, listen, you've been taught love your neighbor. Jesus says, I say love even those who are your enemies. You say, is that possible? Yes. Christ hanging on the cross in absolute agony looked down upon the very ones who nailed Him to the cross. The ones who were responsible for having Him arrested and having Him crucified. He looked down upon that jeering crowd. And with love He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus was teaching the second greatest commandment. He says, you know, after loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't imply that you have to go out there and select only those neighbors who are followers of Jesus Christ in love. No. We should love everybody. But hear me now. Hear me clearly. But not with the love that is reserved for the fellowship of believers. I love my neighbors. Even those that may not have any room or, for Christ in their life. I love them. But let me qualify what I'm saying. We should treat everyone with respect. We should treat everyone with courtesy. We should treat everyone with kindness. We should exhibit compassion. Because that's what God calls us to do. We ought to be the light of the world. The salt of the earth. For even those who are, who are atheists and agnostics and, and ridicule Christian faith, we should exhibit those loving qualities towards them. But when it comes to laying our lives down sacrificially for another and loving unconditionally in the way that God loves us and Christ loves us, that special, deep, agape love is reserved for those who are a part of the body of Christ. What a challenge to us as Christians do we, first of all, even love our neighbors? Do our neighbors and those, do people that you come into contact randomly, do they sense love from you? Are you respectful to strangers? Do you show them courtesy? People want that. They need that. That's the very least we need to exhibit to the general public out there. 
But when we come together in fellowship as a, as a body of believers, or even when we are in fellowship with other like-minded churches who share our convictions about the teachings of the, of the Word of God and the Lordship of Christ, then we should also exhibit that deep love towards them and be willing to lay our lives down for them. Folks, it's going on. You may not see it, but it's going on out there in churches that are being persecuted. There are Christians who are laying their lives on the line for brothers and sisters, taking their place in persecution, taking their place in death. Why? What would possess a person to, to risk so much for someone else? It's because the love of Jesus abides in their heart. And that's what John is writing to urge this dear fellow believer, this elect lady in the, in the body of Christ. John is setting the stage for the rest of the, of the book. This whole idea of balancing our lives as believers in the context of the church. John is saying, yes, we need to balance. We should be loving. But over-sentimentality... If all you got is love, guess what? You're going to sacrifice truth and doctrine. And then you're good for nothing. But on the other hand, if all you do is doctrine and, and, and orthodox beliefs and, 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 and truth at the expense of love, then you're just seen as a cold, indifferent, and detached, legalistic organization. That's no good. There has to be a balance. Love of God balanced with the truth of God makes for a healthy church and healthy Christian relationships. And I challenge you, as I have been challenged myself, let's be that. Let's be that kind of people in this world and to one another.